Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Welcome back to another episode of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I'm here in Oviedo, Florida, just outside Orlando, and I'm here sitting down with Maria Camila Pulido. Uh, she's originally from Colombia, uh, immigrated here almost two decades ago, I think. We're going to get into that, and um, is, is now here as a, as a U.S. citizen, right? Yes, I am. So uh, Maria Camila Pulido, but she goes by? Camila. Camila. So uh, Camila, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you, Francisco. Thank you for having me here. You're, you're certainly welcome. Thanks for, for, for being on. And, you know, I just want to remind our viewers, uh, I believe this is now episode 129. We've had 129 episodes of the Agents of Innovation podcast. If you are not yet subscribed to the podcast, however you're listening or watching, you know, please go in there right now and subscribe so that you'll uh, get be the first alerted to future episodes. Also, if you can give us some likes, uh, five stars would be great. Uh, that would be really great because that will help learn pe more people learn about the podcast. And if you could comment, maybe uh, during or after the episode, uh, let us know what you thought about this episode. If you're listening to this on, say, Apple or Spotify or any of the other major platforms uh, that you listen to podcasts on, but you might want to watch this episode, you can come over to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and type in Agents of Innovation Podcast, and you could sit here and watch... Camila and I, and I want to thank our mutual friend, Ben Newman, Ben and Christina Newman. Mm -hmm. They both um, uh, are part yeah. of the Fearless Journeys community, which if you're interested in that, a lot of our former podcast guests are now featured innovators in the community. And so uh, you can connect with them directly, learn from them in online coaching sessions, uh, join our book club, come on some of our great group trips. And, you know, Ben and Christina have come on uh, several of our trips and mm -hmm. um, actually... We're going to be going to your uh, country in October, uh, to Fantastic. your former country, uh, Colombia. And so that'll be uh, really a lot of fun. But I've traveled with them to Guatemala and also with Christina and her father, Fred, to Uruguay and Argentina. So on some great Fearless Journeys group trips. So you can learn more about Fearless Journeys at fearlessjourneys.org and, uh, and join our community there. Um, also, uh, just wanted to say uh, thank you again to everybody and thanks to Ben and Christina for, for providing this space for us today uh, for us to, uh, to actually be able to do this podcast here. So, so back to right. Camila and her story. So Camila, tell us a little bit. Uh, first of all, um, what, what company do you have? And we're going to get into this and we're going to go back in your, your history and learn how you got here. But tell us a little bit right now your current role. Yes, thank you uh, for having me again. And um, I am the president and the founder of Target Translations and Interpretations. This is a small business in Orlando, Florida, and um, my role is pretty much all the hats. All the hats. <laughs> and Target Translation and Interpretation? Target Translations and Interpretations. Yeah, great. That's Well, we're going to get into the dual sides of that, but you wear all the hats, including the hat of founder and CEO? Yes. Great. Um, so Camila, um, you grew up in Colombia. Uh, tell us a little bit about your upbringing in Colombia, uh, including your, your education and your, your, you know, your child and teenage years there. Well, I grew up in Bogota, Colombia. I was very fortunate uh, to have, uh, you know, like almost all my family there. 
uh, growing up in a culture where family is a big part of our life. Uh, growing up, and uh, I grew up around a lot of cousins, aunts and uncles, going to um, the farms outside of the of, of Bogota, of the city, and enjoying uh, the privilege of uh, the uh, bilingual education, which um, I didn't I didn't know back then, but it was going to be the basis of my journey in the United States and as an entrepreneur, um, because that's that's part of why I was able to become a certified court interpreter and a certified medical interpreter and um, start my business as well. Wow, that's great. So, so growing up, you had the opportunity to learn English. I did. Yeah. It was a fully bilingual school in Bogota and... Uh, coming here, I realized that not everybody had the privilege of coming to the United States already and knowing the language. And that's when I really um, understood the need for bridging the language gap for these people who needed access to critical services in the, in the United States, but didn't have the language skills to, to do so. Yeah, so in uh, in Bogota and just in, in Colombia in general, as you grew up there, uh, 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 how much? Where did you go in your educational journey? Did you did you go to college in in Colombia? So I attended um, at the Universidad Nacional, um, where I studied physical therapy, and I was very passionate about uh, disability and rehabilitation. Um, that that's when I think started my, you know, that was one of my first steps to towards uh, doing a, something I'm very passionate about, which is um, giving people uh, the access to the same um, same footing as everybody else. So if they have a disability, then I was able to to be part of the process of healing and helping them get to have access to those things. And that's part of my language uh, passion here as well. So you started with physical therapy. Yes. And uh, did you graduate with a physical therapy degree? So I did not graduate it. I did not graduate with a physical therapy degree because I came here just before I finished my thesis. Okay. And, um, and that was uh, one of my... Uh, you know, one of the things that made me fa- feel self-conscious, and now I realize that that it, that kind of self-consciousness was only in my mind. Uh, but all the things that I've studied there were so important to develop uh, who I am right now and uh, the kind of professional that I am now. So, when you said self-conscious, was that in regard to um, the language? No, it was in regards to the fact that I didn't get to finish oh. the degree, even though it was just a few months, you know, shy of my thesis uh, dissertation, because my family had come here, so I had to come here. Um, but and then in Colombia, like education is very important, as it is here as well. But it was something to. Um, pursue and that's what also helped me 
um, motivate myself to do it again here, which I did. So you, yeah, so you, you arrive here and you're college age about, you were in the middle of college kind of. Yes. And what, what did you go right into college here? So, um, yeah, like a couple of years after, um, actually I became a mom and then I started college again and it was a whole different experience, but it was wonderful. Um, my son was actually going to the same college as um, a pre-K at UCF, oh, okay. as I was going to UCF as UCF well. UCF has a pre-K. Yeah, yeah, for students. So you were going and, to college with your son. Yes. <laughs> um, well, so um, what were you studying at UCF? Biology. Biology. Yeah. Wow. So you go from physical therapy to biology, both kind of, you know, medical, kind of, science, medical. Yeah. So... Um, when you gra- did you graduate with a biology degree? Yes, I did. And what did you do right out right out of college? Right out of college, well, I wanted to uh, pursue physical therapy again. Physical therapy here is a doctorate degree, so you required uh, to have a bachelor's degree, which is why I did biology, which I loved and enjoyed. But by then, life happened, <laughs> and um, I needed to work. I was a single mom. And I did it to work. So I had already been working as an interpreter, as a freelancer for other companies. Mm. And I wanted to uh, continue working, but it was not enough. And so I started to look for jobs in biology. I had already been working in, in a laboratory doing stem cell research as a student but after that you know I found you know I found that it was very hard to to really find a job with a bachelor's degree in biology only and I also wanted to be with my son and um, it was a combination of things and it was a really important point in my life where I needed to work I was not willing to work any job that will not require me to be with my son as much as he needed me. And I, but I needed money. So I needed, to, I started to work. And I went uh, through a journey that was a short lived journey where I ended up working for minimum wage in a, um, and you what know, were you I, doing in that minimum wage job? I was at a, a company that where I was in a warehouse packing screws and, and nails. And um, that was a wonderful experience because I, I was so bored in the job uh, that I started to listen to, to audiobooks. One uh, of those audiobooks. Yes. Yeah. And so while packing and you know screws, you yeah. know, I had to think much. So I started to listen to this audiobook um, about the the life of uh, Obama's mother. Obama's mother? Yes. Wow. And her life totally inspired me. She you know, you know as you might know. She's an anthropologist, and she then she lived yeah. in Jakarta, in the, uh, and she did a lot of uh, research in microeconomics, 
and she and she inspired me uh, to start my own business. And so when I finished that book, um, I quit this job. And the same day, I went to some biz.gov and I started my own business. Wow, that's fantastic. So let's back that up there a little bit because you graduated from UCF with a yeah. biology degree. Your hope was to get some kind of career uh, using your biology degree. You talked about doing research, okay. uh, stem cell research, maybe in labs. You talked about on the side, I think, is this what you said, that you were, to make some money, you were doing translation yes. for other companies. Um, and then um, what was the reason you, you said you had to go get this minimum wage job? Was it a second job or the only job you were able to find at the time? It was time? the only job at that time. I didn't, I mean, I did Packing it Packing screws in a yeah, warehouse? Yeah, warehouse, yeah. I hope they had AC. Uh, it was hard, <laughs> and and um, but it was really humbling. And you know, you do what you gotta do. I, um, but but it was very inspiring. And I, you know, sometimes you have to be pushed to that place where you just jump higher. And I was so relieved, and I was very inspired, really. I mean, by 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 the situation, and then also. I didn't know then because I had been going through this path where I was looking for healthcare professions, but really I had, to, I was able to listen to myself and a interpreting that I had been doing before with other, com for other companies called me and it was by calling. I didn't even know that this was a, such a great profession. Um, because, and I didn't consider this before, because in Colombia, since I was born, I had a speech impediment. Mm. And obviously, it never occurred to me that I should just become an interpreter. Wow. <laughs> but when I was doing this job, I realized that I was able to do this, and it was so empowering. So that's why it was a lot of factors that took me to this place where I really took this leap of faith in myself to to do this job because it was I mean it had been so empowering to work already as an interpreter I worked over the phone interpreting for example for 911 calls wow things that were so important and my voice my voice which I was so self-conscious about as you can imagine when you have a speech impediment since you are born I mean, of course, he had been gotten better, but I still had some um, times when I was self-conscious. And the fact that my voice was helping save, save lives, yeah. uh, helping people communicate in critical situations, uh, having access to services, federal services, which I will explain a little bit in a moment why federal services are very important in terms of language access. Um, that was only uh, happening because of my voice and my bilingualism. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I just fell in love with that path. And, and here I am after yeah. over a decade of uh, having my company providing these uh, language services. That's amazing. So I just want to go back to some parts of your story there. 
uh, first of all, um, you know, you, you, you took a job uh, packing screws after, with a college degree. I mean, you, you were an immigrant here, but, it, uh, you know, you, you were very highly skilled. You had almost completed a full college degree in Columbia. You start, you, you start at UCF and you complete a whole different degree there. Um, and so uh, you then go, you know, looking for jobs. And you also have a big responsibility in your life. Your son, you're a single mother. So you're like, I need, to, I need a job where I can be close with my son. Um, and so you find this job that's minimum wage because, you know, there's a lot of us that have dream jobs we want to have or, or careers that we envision. But sometimes the job isn't available at the moment, and, but there are bills to pay. And so we sometimes have to humble ourselves a little bit and just go get uh, a job that puts money uh, in the bank and pays the rent and, you know, pays for our meals and things like that. Um, and not only mention that you have uh, a son you're taking care of as well. So uh, I think that's very good and honorable. And I think a lot of people should take, you know, right now that you might not be in the job you want or the, the job you want might not be available. But, you know, getting a job, first of all, not just of any job, right, puts, uh, uh, puts money in the bank, but also gives you skills and experience. You also then continued your self-education. You know, I'm a big proponent of lifelong learning. I hear this from a lot of entrepreneurs. And also, I want to remind people who listen to this, I say this all the time, almost unprompted on almost every podcast, and this was unprompted, you just heard it, somebody mentions a book or something that inspired them. She was listening to audiobooks while she was packing screws, right? Let's make the best of my time uh, and, you know, get some education. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of self-growth books out there. I love books like Atomic Habits and Start With Why. And, you know, you could, I, I, a lot of these books we use in the Fearless Journeys community. But something that really inspires a lot of people are biographies or even autobiographies. Mm -hmm. It's hard to actually assign books like that to people. Sometimes I will. Like, I love Booker T. Washington's book, right? Like, Up From Slavery. It's a great book. Um, but, you know, you just ha had a book I, I didn't even know that Obama's mother... A singular wrote a woman. book, right? Yeah. I know who she was. I know a little bit of her story, but I didn't know she wrote a book. And then it's a biography where you heard something in her story that inspired you. Yeah. Like I can do this. Um, and then you had this little bit of, um, you know, experience with uh, doing some interpretations and translations and thought, you know, I could do that. I could have a whole company. I could do, there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And what's really amazing when you hear your story is that you had a lot of self-conscious stuff that, you, you know, and when you, when we hear self-consciousness stuff, it's fear, yeah. you know, and it's fear of th things that we create, right? It wasn't like your fear. There's real fears. Like you're standing on a cliff and you get a knot in your stomach because your stomach and your body is telling you like you could die if you go over that cliff, right? So that's a real fear. But then there are fears we kind of make up in our heads. Like one fear was I came to this country and I didn't have a college degree and I felt like self-conscious about that. Uh, there's a lot of people who were born in this country that don't have a college degree that may feel self-conscious about that. Um, so that was one. And then the second one was your speech impediment that you said you had from a young child. And like you're in a field where you're, you're literally talking in a different language and helping people translate and you are the voice. And what was cool about that story is that one at some of the early ones where you were literally the voice in an emergency situation for 911 calls. So that's fantastic. So your company, you started it about a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago. Yes. Target translation and interpretations. Yes. And so first of all, as we move forward in that, can you just explain, 
you have translations and interpretations in the title of your company. Um, it sounds like it could be redundant, but it, uh, it might be two different things. So tell us the difference between that. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, I actually he made a video on YouTube explaining that very difference. Mm. So translation um, talks about the uh, transferring of a text, of a written text in a language into a text in a different language. So let's say you have a contract that's in English and we can translate that into a contract in Spanish so that the person who is limited English speaking um, might read th the same contract accurately and have the same access to the information that you have. The, the other side of the services is interpretation services. So interpretation re uh, refers to the spoken transferring of the message. So somebody is speaking and uh, like in English and the interpreter interprets that into the target language. Um, so that would be Spanish or any other language and vice versa. So when it comes to the translations, a lot of us now are familiar. Uh, maybe we're traveling in another country or speaking to a for you know, and now we have access to all these great apps like Google Translate. And so we can take the text uh, of something maybe we're reading or maybe something we want to say so we can translate it to somebody maybe over a text message, maybe in real life, in person, whatever, over an email. Um, so there's also a lot of, um, we're, we're developing a lot of new technologies like uh, you know artificial intelligence, AI. Uh, maybe there's some talk about AI providing some translation. So where do you see the translation services you're doing? Because you're working on you're not just trying to translate a text or something, right? You're translating a contract, maybe uh, for a lawyer, for a client, you're translating uh, all sorts of very important documents. Um, so where does the human element of uh, something like your company provides compared to say a computer generated uh, translation app? I personally have been very impressed by the technology nowadays, but the, the, the language is a human endeavor because it is attached to culture and it evolves with time. So they've gotten really good, but not perfect. And when the stakes are high, you need the best possible translation or interpretation available. When you are in court, and your case and your life, a livelihood and life future is on the line, you don't want to risk it and you don't want a computer to misinterpret anything that you're saying or that you're understanding because that is your right to access um, a, the legal system in, this, in that case, for example. But um, it's complicated because culture changes. I mean, you know, when... I don't know, like 15 years ago, in English, saying this is bad, it was bad. Now it's bad to the kids. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, to say the word bad. Yeah, I'm like like Michael Jackson, I'm bad, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a good point. So uh, translation on a text could definitely miss that. Even interpretation, if you were to have a computer try to do that like a robot or something in court, you know, that would miss a lot of that type of stuff. 
or funny things happen. Like, for example, at uh, when I was uh, doing the internship at uh, stem cell research, we I was trying to help develop um, a new laboratory that was being set up in Panama, in the country of Panama. And uh, it was with uh, John Hijab Hawkins, a hospital mm. there. And they sent an email. It was simple email. It was not legal. It was a simple email actually requesting some items that they needed to purchase over there. And they needed stools, a, you know, some uh, a, like instruments for the lab. Well, they ordered p- poop stools because oh, wow. the translator... Oh. <laughs> So they needed stools to sit on, but they got yeah, stools. Yeah, because they that did were, the Google Translate. Yeah. And sometimes you keep, they don't know, maybe it's for some experiment. Ah, that's that's really interesting. So uh, in your work, so you're based here in uh, the Orlando area, and tell me some of the kinds of typical clients you have, some of the the people you work for. I mean, you don't have to give specifics, but I mean just the of general course. types of. Uh, Companies, government, nonprofit, like what, what kind right. of uh, people do you work for? And give us an example of the kind of work you would do for them. So we, uh, well, our main clients are attorneys whose clients might um, speak a different language than English. And even though some of them do speak some English, they feel more comfortable in a legal setting to speak it their same in their language, in their, in their native tongue, uh, to express themselves and also to really understand everything that they are being told. Um, but also we work with individuals who need to go to immigration. They need, uh, they need uh, to get an interview with a potential employer. Uh, a parents who need to go to talk to their uh, their, uh, their kid's school teacher and uh, they they might need an interpreter to be able to to, to communicate with them um, we also provide interpreters for conferences for businesses around the world who come to Orlando mm. which is a really business hub like internationally um, and who come to do a conference and so we provide interpreters for conferences in, in in a myriad of languages. So if someone's looking for an interpreter, right, maybe it's for a conference or maybe they're a lawyer, um, whatever the case may be, how can they find you? Do you have a website? What, how can they look you up? We have a website. It's, it's www.target-translations.com. Okay, target-translations.com. And we'll put the... Um, We'll put the website in the show notes, so however people are looking, they can find you there. They can also call our office, and, and like all the contact information is there. Um, but they they just call us and they tell us what they need, and we are really good at guiding them because sometimes they don't even need um, the services they they might think they need, and mm-hmm. we can guide them through the best possible options including some cases where they can get a free interpreter interpreter or free uh, services that they not they might not be, be aware of now how is it free how can they do something for free because of um 
Title VI. So the Act, um, the law, um, Title VI, the of uh, um, states that that every person in the United States who ha- who has the right to um, to have an interpreter to have equal access to any agency, government agency, or any um, organization in the United States that receives federal funds. Mm. They have a, they have the right to have equal access as everybody else to those services, and if that means that they need an interpreter, they should have one. Wow. However. It varies from state to state, and in in the courts in Florida, that is not being provided for civil matters, which is why we have the non-for-profit. Okay, so you also so in addition to the for-profit company, Target Translations and Interpretations, uh, you also have a non-profit. What is the non-profit called? And tell me a little bit of its purpose. So the non-for-profit um, is called language um, language access, and um, um, com- I'm sorry, community language access. Okay. And community language access, the the purpose of that is to is to fill the gap uh, for the people who cannot afford the private services that target translations and interpretations provide. And um, uh, they can apply to to the to the organization, and if they qualify, they can get a free interpreter and free translation services or a discounted rates on those, because without that they don't have access to that, like an eviction case, they're being evicted, and that, and that's not covered by the government of Florida. It is covered in other states. But for some reason, it's not. But I'm not going to wait until others solve that problem. So we really wanted to give that um, By the way, that's that's a really great part of the American story in some ways in that a lot of times when government doesn't uh, do something, um, people will usually step up, including through philanthropic efforts like community language, language access. access. And uh, I assume that has its own website as well. As well, yes. Um, it has a website that was uh, built by another non-for-profit that was amazing <laughs> and helped us out with that. That's really amazing. So we got a lot going on here. Let me, let's go back though. One part of your story I want to talk about. So you're, you're in the, um, you're, you're, you're in the uh, warehouse uh, packing screws, minimum wage job, uh, two college degrees basically. Um, and you're listening to this podcast or these audible book. Um, you get inspired to want to start. You had done some translation and interpretation for other companies before. Uh, wh- how did you get that start? What was your first steps that you took? So um, it was pretty abrupt, but I think the the passion, all the rivers were converging into this ocean of awesomeness when that day honestly that day I was like I looked around and I said what am I doing here I have so much to offer uh, I mean I was also helping them pack this cruise very well done <laughs> well you gotta whatever you're doing do it well <laughs> but 
but I really, I really thought, you know, this is this is my calling. I that day that I quit because actually also they took away my phone because they thought I was I was distracted by the audiobooks. Mm. But I was, but I was like, I'm like, my gosh, I had never been reprimanded as an adult before. And I said, you know what? This is the last day here. And I said, you know, I need this job, but I couldn't find a job that I that allowed me to be with my son and allowed me to feel passionate about what I was doing. So I gave myself that job. And that same day, I registered my company and I went out and I sold uh, my first contract to a company of an engineer friend who had advised me that they needed to... Um, translate a you know a, a whole book of over a thousand pages of specifications um like engineering and architect um specifications book to build um a, a huge building in in panama in the country oh, wow. of panama so i went there and said that i could do it and um it took a couple of weeks to negotiate this but we got it and I was full immersed and that was my first job with the company and we did such a wonderful job that it just took off and I was uh, I loved it so how did you okay so you you knew somebody that had this opportunity for you to provide some translations uh for this big job this big book in a sense uh engineering related in Panama and so what how did you find other customers early on yeah so i i didn't have any business training or marketing and um all i had was the knowledge of the language and the previous knowledge that i had gained from the other companies who gave me the chance to work for them um as um as a freelancer and I realized that I didn't have, so it was hard at the beginning. That's why I had four jobs at the same time that I was starting my business. And when whoa, 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 four jobs. So what? So, so I know I was, you left. You left the screw uh, packing thing. Interpreting, interpreting. So you four jobs yeah. interpreting. Like as a you freelancer. You were working for other companies. As a freelancer, but it oh, was as slow. A but it was slow, and I realized, you know. I could do this, and you know, it was big companies who hired you because you're bilingual. And I knew that, you know, then I started to, to do more research into what I could do, and I could get certified as a, as a court interpreter, as a medical interpreter, as a translator. And let me tell you, the tests for these certifications are not easy at all. <laughs> so I said, you know what, I'm gonna do the best because you know, they were hiring just bilingual people. I wanted to actually be certified and do the same and hire only certified people, and that's what I do now. So when I started to study this, uh, I was fascinated. I loved studying, and I and I passed the test, and I, I passed the court interpreter test, which was very hard, and that was another challenge that just pushed me through my insecurities with my language. Uh, um, disability which I had um, but I passed and I got certified as a court interpreter and I just I felt unstoppable 
But I kept working because, as you know, starting a business is slow. And everybody told me, oh, 75% or 85% of the businesses shut down the first two years. And for some reason, people discourages you to start your own business because they're afraid of doing so or something. But they, nobody told me, oh, yeah, go for it. It's super easy. Nobody. And I just didn't care. And I did kept my four jobs for a, about a year, then three, then two. By the third year, which was way past the due date of failing, I was able to, to, to keep only my business. And here I am, after 10 years, leaving off only my business and creating jobs for other interpreters because we also provide over 100 languages of a interpretation and translation services. Wow. That's amazing. Well, one thing I thought that's really interesting in your story, and it's becoming more prevalent for a lot of people today, is picking up freelance work, right? So uh, the internet in some ways today and all the remote work opportunities where people could kind of do some jobs from anywhere. Um, but there's a lot of ways people are just, so when you said you had four jobs, you know, I'm still schooled in the thought, as much as I live this and know this, I'm still schooled in the thought when I hear someone say four jobs that they have like four employers, right? And all these things and like full, like maybe they're part-time jobs. That's what I was thinking when you said that. But mm -hmm. what's interesting is when you think of a job, it's almost like, um, you know, I think one of the maybe original, not original, but kind of classic ideas of freelancing in the in our country, maybe in the 20th century, is something like uh, what actors do, right? Um, it's very rare that an actor would get a job that's like the same job, right? They, they go from, say, like a theatrical production to a television show, if they're lucky, to uh, maybe a movie production. And when that movie production's over, that job is over. And maybe they have a relationship with the director or a screenwriter or a producer, and they get another job, but they're separate jobs. So I think that, and they're they're kind of some of the, I don't want to say original because I'm sure it goes way back further than that, but just uh, maybe like an old school freelance type job. But in this case, you also found jobs, particular maybe contracts for a particular role for a temporary time with a, with, with a different company or a specific project. Maybe it's a project management Thing. And you're able to manage three, four, or five different jobs at one time while you're earning income, getting experience, and maybe setting that path for yourself to say, hey, now I've proven, I've, I've got some money saved, and I've, I've also proven some skill sets, and I now have learned how this business works. I'm ready to start my own company. And then you did that, um, and then your own company, you have all sorts of new clients you're picking up, and then as you're going forward, uh, maybe you start to get really successful and the work is overwhelming for one person. So that gives you opportunity to hire more people. Right. Uh, but it's great. It's very, another thing you said there uh, is about this idea that you didn't find encouragement from anyone, right? A mm -hmm. lot of people will tell you all the negative statistics, all the failures, you can't do it. It's tough. Don't even go down that path. It's a waste of time. Um, and yet, what was it within you um, that 
you believed you could do it. If you, you weren't finding this belief outside from anybody else. Mm -hmm. why, why did you think you could do it? So, I mean, I mean, not everyone was negative, of course. There was some good friends who were like, wait, that's what you want to do? Go for it. You know, my family, uh, my mom, my son, who, who's been really my inspiration for everything. And that is, I think, that that's where I really found my strength is this mother instinct, maternal instinct, which is the strongest that I've ever known. You just do anything there's no doubt that you will succeed because you're a mother because you gotta make it and and it was wonderful so when you mentioned about uh, the four jobs yes it was like freelancers freelancer jobs so one was like from 5 a.m to 7 to two hours of, of interpreting um uh, because he was flexible and that was before my son woke up then the other one was while he was in school then the other and so forth and so that's how I did it and in between I was I was doing my business but I didn't do it alone I really took advantage of all the government um, help that there is out there available for example from the SBA small business administration you know I was there in the Center of Entrepreneurship in the Fashion Square Mall in Orlando, oh, where yeah. it's really amazing. And I was there, and I was surprised that most of the time when I went to those offices to knock, to knock on doors, uh, I was almost the only one in this place. Mm. And these people have such amazing resources, but... So if people are so if you're in Orlando, this Center for Entrepreneurship, I think it's called. Yeah. And and I think it's still there in the Fashion mm -hmm. Square Mall, right near Baldwin Park, right yeah. near the Orlando Executive Airport. Um, and by the way, that mall is usually like empty anytime I walk in it. And not to mention the nobody would the think center. that that's there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, um, the Small Business Administration, which yeah. is like a government agency from the federal government. There's a lot of grants that are given out to help small businesses in a lot of ways. Also, the other thing that you did um, was you didn't have to be certified to be an interpreter, right? But it gives you a leg up when you are certified. You went through the courses, you paid the fees, uh, you, you, you studied hard for the test. It definitely probably helped you just learning all that information, but also then you get certified, you get the attention of people who want somebody who's proven, who's certified. Um, and now you're also hiring people who are certified. That's correct. This has changed, though. Nowadays, they are requiring the courts, mm. and I'm glad that they are. They're requiring that people do bring on a certified court interpreter to their proceedings, mostly because a certified court interpreter is an unbiased party. Uh, they, they, they have to abide by a code of ethics, um, meaning... Um, confidentiality, meaning they know what they're doing. They will not um, give any like any input. Uh, they would just interpret what's being said uh, uh, accurately, and they will uh, limit themselves to interpret, and uh, that's what a good interpreter does. Yeah. So, uh, but nowadays, actually, I have uh, have been exposed to more and more uh, courts, judges, uh, attorneys, 
uh, demanding that the interpreter is certified, which is great. Yeah. And then, you know, I also just love the story of, you know, being motivated as a mother, especially a single mother, um, to just do anything you could to help your child. And it's really amazing when you said you had four different freelance jobs at one time. Um, and to listen to you talk about the hours that you worked around your son's schedule, you know, uh, he's young, he's waking up, he's getting ready for school, then he's in school, you're back to work. Then he's out of school, then you're off work. I mean, but you're not really stopping. This is what a lot of people don't realize with women and mothers in particular, uh, how much you're just constantly really working because even though you weren't working your job from say seven to eight in the morning or whatever, you're working as a mother, getting your son up, getting him ready for school, maybe taking him to school, packing a lunch, you know, all these things, picking him up from school taking them to sports or, you know, whatever they're involved with. Yeah. And everything. so, yeah, so it's a, uh, it's a lot of work. A lot of times kids, maybe, maybe your son's grateful for it. I, I actually, he is cause I've met him um, <laughs> and, and he's doing something entrepreneurial as a 18 year old, right? As well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I think uh, you, you could see that, but, but I think a, a lot of kids though don't realize and at times they don't realize cause you know, they're kids and, you're, um, you're busy with your own social life and your school and your studies and all the things you're involved with. And, um, sometimes you don't realize how that food gets on the table, how that roof gets over your head and all the hard work. And usually you realize that later in life, maybe as you're making your way into the world, as you're maybe having kids, um, and you're like, Oh wow, I didn't realize my parents went through all that stuff for me, right? So, um, so anyway, um, but I think it's great what you that was something that motivated you as well. And, and so you were not, I loved that you also said you were, you've, at one point, you felt unstoppable. Uh, I, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I wanted to say that I know that it sounds like, you know, we, like, as parents say, oh, we did all this for you, you know, the kids and stuff. But honestly, I really feel more, grateful to the kid for having had that chance to be motivated I mean it was not that hard for me it was just such a joy to do it for tick and I know I sound like oh my god I'm so it's not like I'm it's really like it gives you so much energy and I felt unstoppable now he's 18 and I'm like, I need to find that motivation for myself now by myself. Mm. And that's even harder. Yeah. It's so easy to do it for your family. because. Well, maybe the motivation is uh, <laughs> you're going to see him go off into the world on a good foundation, um, you know, with, you know, getting a college education and oh, getting, sure. getting uh, you know, getting into the new career. And then I'll empower you that, hey, uh, you did some, you did some good work, mom. <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, well, you know... I always, you know, now in my later years, now for three years or so, I've been doing yoga and I've mm. been meditating and I find that really uh, people and situations are just there to teach you something really. And, they, and the way you see things is, is your own reality. So all of this story is a wonderful story of excitement. I enjoyed all of that so much. It was not... Hard. It seems like a lot of work, but it's better to have all that than be idle. And yeah, you not know, some people that. use the term, uh, you know, that maybe people are workaholics and because they're always whatever. But um, and that could be true. You don't want to be too yeah. addicted to work, but um, 
but also sometimes from the outside, somebody could see that you're really working hard and spending a lot of time on things. But on the inside, you're like, I, I like doing this. You I know? like doing this. Yeah. And I like being a mom and I loved, yeah, you live vicariously through your kids. And I thought it was, it was wonderful. And, uh, you know, my son, I was very lucky. He was super amazing and healthy. And I had a great time. And, and now, through yoga, I'm learning to learn how to detach myself from my son and from that need to feed off of his energy because you know what everything was inside of me anyways from the beginning but as a woman we really put a lot of our energy source in like in motherhood and uh, it's all in our heads again yeah so tell me yoga how, um, how did you get into it and how has it helped you um, in all parts of your life Oh my gosh, it's been the the most wonderful experience. Uh, I started when my son became, uh, you know, a teenager, and then after, you know, teenagers is hard, but it's not they they're not hard to deal with. They are just naturally evolving and developing. It's you who don't catch up to the changes. It's so fast, and you just want to keep having the little baby, right? Yeah. So there's a clash because they don't want to be treated like babies. <laughs> so I really learned to just listen and quiet my mind. And by doing yoga meditation, I just learned, it's, it's so simple to breathe and focus on breathing. And when you do that, all the problems go away. I know it sounds like magic, but they do because then you focus in the moment, like in the present moment, and and you forget about blaming you know, yourself or anybody else and that gave me a lot of peace and energy to continue and to and to adapt to the changes of being a mom of a teenager of a teenager yeah. and well that's good um so yeah yoga has a lot of movements that can be like um you know similar to stretching in some ways right there's some stretches in there but also a lot of breath work, right? And by the way, I'm in the middle of reading a book called Breath, oh. and I forget the name of the author. It's killing me, but uh, um, it's a real. I'm only about halfway through, but it's talking about um, it's helping you learn how to breathe. Um, my friend Carter Fowler, who was on this podcast um, last year, you know, he recommended the book first. We talked about it a little bit on that episode. I forget what number episode that was, like you know, one sixteen or something like that, but. Uh, yeah, so there was, so learning how to breathe is good. Um, and also, uh, I don't know if they teach this with you, but there's a whole section in this book about you shouldn't breathe through your mouth, only through your nose. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, anyway, a lot of, a lot of fascinating stuff, but yoga, you know, it's, it's, it's very concentrated. It's great because I actually think any kind of say fitness or just getting, getting, uh, outside or just getting, um, you know, just do, doing something where you're phys both physically and mentally, you kind of leave your day-to-day -day, uh, job, uh, your day-to-day -day life, whatever it is, um, and you kind of, it's kind of, you know, those, those, those moments that you get a release from like whatever, maybe it's being a mom, Absolutely. maybe it's working hard, whatever. Um, and so some people go for a run. I like to play tennis as well. Um, yeah. You know, maybe people go to the gym. Those things are really great physically, but also I have found that 
um, your mind kind of goes in another place as well when you're when you're exercising. But yoga, it's like the whole thing. <laughs> it's like the whole uh, practice is all revolving around that total like release. And you're talking about breath work. Uh, we know a lot of um, a lot of great, you know, say like uh, monks or you know whatever that are that that get really mm-hmm. focused on a lot of this. So uh, speaking of which, uh, you see, you do yoga on a regular basis, but you've also gone on some like yoga retreats. I I, I heard you, you you somewhat recently went to India. So yeah. tell us about your your travels to India and 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 where this uh, practice of yoga has taken you. Well, no, that was uh, an amazing trip. I had never been to Asia before, and I went to India in January of this year. And I went to India because that that's that, that, that's the birthplace of yoga. So I. I said, you know, if I'm going to do something, I was looking for a retreat. And I said, you know, why not India? So I did. And it was amazing. I learned so much. I mean, the yoga that we practice here is amazing. I have amazing teachers in the studio that I practiced in Orlando. But India, I mean, it's a, it's a lifestyle. So not everybody practices yoga like we know. Uh, as we know it, um, but yoga is a lifestyle, so it's a it's a it's a passion for life. It's being present, really. The purpose of yoga, of these movements and stretches and balancing poses, is so that we can sit down comfortably and breathe effectively, and be in the present moment. That is the whole purpose of it. Eventually, is is to really meditate. That's why the monks they really like enlightened man, monks ultimately they just go on retreat and they sit down quiet and they don't move because they can breathe that's all you need apparently in life <laughs> so <laughs> so no it was amazing it was a, it was a, 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 like a 25 day a retreat where we did yoga all day long we meditated i stayed uh, on a tent and it was amazing. I mean, these people really uh, have this energy about them where uh, service to others is the most important thing and being kind is it, starting with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was all about self-care. And India, um, it was amazing. People told me all kinds of things about India. It's, it's, it's chaotic, it's this and that, it could be dangerous. I'm like, I'm just going. And I went there and I found the most amazing people, kind, um, caring, and really like easy going and um, nurturing. And my teachers there were super tough, but they make you feel like you can do it. There's no doubt. There's no doubts because, again, the obstacles are in our minds. Mm-hmm. So it was not like, oh, I cannot do that pose. It was like, no, you just start with this one. You start with it. There was no, you know, I cannot do this because I have this injury. It was, no, you can do this other modification of this. And there was a 90-year-old woman who was there doing yoga. And it was so inspiring. And so... I just I just met so many people who really um, 
just you know it just make you feel like you there's nothing impossible in this life and yeah. i came back with no desire to wear any shoes <laughs> i was so <laughs> used to not shoe because you take the hey, 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 you take your shoes off before you get, like, enter any any room any space so we were just not you know i didn't wear shoes for like a, about a month <laughs> that's funny um well your journey to india uh, really amazing that you took the leap to go there for six weeks, a yoga retreat, but also, and then another situation where you've got people that are like, hey, be careful, you shouldn't go there, it's dangerous, it's chaotic, it's, you know, why go to India, there's other places to go to, but you did it and you found a great experience. I've never been to India and I can't talk. I have friends that have been there, they love it. Um, I'd love to go there someday. It's it's the world, is it now the world's most populous country it's right there with china it's pretty it's right close. there with china yeah. yeah and um so i was talking to you earlier off the podcast and you're from colombia and i mentioned that i had a friend that um is going to be in brazil soon and that i'd love to go to brazil sometime i have another friend who uh would just kept my friend isa patriota who's from brazil who lives in the u.s now and she, um, you know, trying to encourage me to go to Brazil at some point. Maybe we'll do a Fearless Journeys Brazil. But then you said to me something. Uh, when you were a 12-year-old in Colombia, <laughs> you and your other 12-year-old friend went to Brazil on your own? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we took, yeah, we went to Brazil. I mean, her aunt, who is actually a theater actress, lived there. And so we stayed with her, but we did go by ourselves to to Rio de Janeiro when we were so 12. So you traveled on a plane from Colombia to Brazil. Yeah. You get off the plane and you're with her aunt? Yes, yes. Okay. But they were they were they were amazing people. They were were you know the theater people, so they were very open and we were able to walk by ourselves on the streets of Rio de Janeiro. And um yeah, we had a great time. And the thing about this trip was that I had actually saved money from my own work because I worked. What were you doing at the age of 12 that enabled you to save money? Well, like every now and then I would do TV commercials in Colombia. Oh, so being on the Agents of Innovation podcast <laughs> YouTube channel is no big deal. Okay. That was a long you time ago. You did TV commercials in Colombia as a ago. child. It was a long time ago. And so I was able to save enough money to buy my ticket to Brazil and go on this trip. So it was a big deal because I was paying for my own trip. But yeah, it was a little bit nerve-wracking because we were walking, the two of us, by ourselves in the streets of Rio. And, I'm not sure uh, I would advise two 12-year-old girls <laughs> to be walking in the streets of Rio de Janeiro by themselves. But you did it. You went. Um, and tell us, what were you, were you going to say about that? Oh, no. I mean, I mean, it was fine. It was safe. And, it, and we, you know, the thing about traveling like that is that you learn. Mm-hmm. You know, and we didn't speak Portuguese. So I learned like a little bit of Portuguese. I still remember Portuguese that I learned back then. And uh, that's how you learn. And it's not about, so when you travel, it's not only about learning the language or what you already know before you went there. You just find some things that are surprising that you would never know about until you are there. 
Yeah. So, you know, we were exposed to many things, you know, just like small things, how the bus works, how how the doors open. I don't know. You know, when <laughs> I went to Barcelona, I just I didn't realize that, the, the, like in Europe, uh, the, norm, uh, the doorknobs are like in the middle uh, of, yeah, the, yeah. of the door. Um, in India, yeah, we all know about the yoga and all that, but you know what I didn't know? That people are like in the middle of the chaotic tuk-tuks, monkeys, (laughs) cows, literally at the same time in the same place where you're on the street. People are honking super loud all the time, but nobody is upset. (laughs) There's no road rage. I was like, this is confusing. It was so confusing to me. But you will never like had a... Hey, you would have never had this experience or uh, like opportunity to realize that about India unless you were in the middle of the cow of the monkey and the tuk-tuks and people were smiling and saying namaste and everybody's yelling and honking. <laughs> it was crazy, amazing. Yeah, and I you felt know, safe, safe. That's what I love about travel is just the uh, you learn. It's It's the same concept of when you start a company, you learn by doing. You know, you learn through traveling, you, you learn about other cultures, maybe it's language, maybe it's ways of life doing things, maybe it's mm-hmm. doorknobs being in different places or the way people get through traffic. Um, it's just, and you know, you could look at a, a lot of things in books and you could watch videos and things, but it's, there's nothing like being there and experiencing things for yourself. Did you get a chance to go to the Taj Mahal? I did. I actually made a trip there in a taxi um, to see that specifically, and it was, it was beautiful. But I, I don't know. It's a most, it's a museum, and it was, it was. I don't know. It's just weird to have all that amazing. I mean, the building is amazing, beautiful. I took the best pictures. Um, but nobody lives there. I don't know. It's just. I know. It's. It's. A, yeah. It's. You know, a king made this for uh, him and his wife. Um, it's just weird to have all that built around uh, two tombs. For no, like, but, real use, right? Yeah. But it was amazing. Yeah. And it's beautiful, just, I mean, just to say I was there. And then also, people there are, are really beautiful. I was there, and of course, you know, there was a photographer who said, I, I can take pictures. Like, well, I have my phone, you know. And they, well, well hey, let me take a picture, and you tell me if you like it. And the guy poses me, says, Put this hand here, this hand here, and I'm like, oh my god, it look amazing! Thank you. Yes, I and and so I hired him to take pictures of me at the Taj Mahal. I would have never been able to do that amazing job that he did. So it's just everybody and the tour guide and, and everybody's helping you out. I just felt so taken care of. That's amazing. Um, well, yeah, it just also shows you. Um, we may have views or images of what other people may be we may have no views or images of what other people may be we just not might may not have thought of it but you go there and just like when i went to guatemala and i was i come back i mean i i lived in guatemala a year i've been there multiple times we've done some group trips there but um i I have to say and i've been to about 28 countries in the world not india yet but or brazil (laughs) but i i would say that um you know, I feel like people in Guatemala, I mean, I tell people this, they're just the most like hospitable people in the world. They're just very welcoming and warm. And like you walk in, you meet them and you, they tell you you're already part of their family. Like that yeah. just doesn't exist. You know, so a couple things going back to, I wanted to ask you about 
Um, so we heard about the uh, TV commercials you did. Um, was that your first job in life? Did you have any other first jobs before that? No, that was my first job. That was your first job. How do you get that? I think my mom got me into that. You know, as a kid, as a child, your mom takes you to these castings. Because I did that when I was a baby. I think I did one for Johnson & Johnson or something like mm, that. As a baby? Wow, a Columbia Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I did some others. But I, I enjoy doing this. But then as a teenager, I kind of stopped because... Then it was either going through the route of becoming a, like an actress or doing that, or maybe more modeling. And I just didn't feel like I was this sexy model type. I was more of a like uh, the role of like the the daughter of the family in a commercial, okay. or and then the younger, yeah, the young adult, and then the, yeah, and that's what I do now. I've done a, a, a few commercials here. Really. Um, How long ago? Uh, at the big, uh, last year. Wow. What kind of commercial was it? It was uh, a visit to Orlando. Oh, cool. And, I, and the role was actually my role, my actual role, which was I was a young entrepreneur. A young entrepreneur. And were you in the commercial, are you speaking in Spanish? No, I'm not speaking. I'm just, uh, you know, you're there's just, no speaking you're roles. you modeling? Well, no, I am actually acting as an entrepreneur. Hmm. And what, what was the uh, point of the commercial? I was to promote Visit Orlando as, a, as an entrepreneurial sent a hub. Well, and how were you discovered for that? I just went to an agency and, and so they, 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 uh, they, they called me and I, I did the casting. And well, I have a feeling if we sit here for another 10, 20, 30 minutes right now, I'm going to find more and more information <laughs> out about Camila. But really, um, when I met you a couple, maybe about two months ago uh, through our friends, uh, Ben and Christina Newman, and I started listening to what you did. And first of all, we were introduced uh, because you know we have mutual friends, but also I had just been to your native country of Colombia for the first time earlier this year. And so, okay, wow, that's interesting. I, I meet a Colombian here in Orlando. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of Colombians here in Orlando. Yes. Um, and, um, and, and in Florida in general. But, um, okay, cool, that's great. And then I learned you started a company, translations and interpretations. Okay, tell me a little bit more about that, right? Um, and so I thought it was just super interesting, um, your story. And then how, um, yeah, you're an entrepreneur. You came here uh, as an immigrant. And, you know, one of the things... You know, I, I recently published a book called The American Dream is a Terrible Thing to Waste. And we actually recount a lot of the stories of people that had been on some of the first 100 episodes of this podcast. But as I was, I was going through and, and thinking about all the different common, you know, actually outlining, not just thinking about, but pulling together what were the common characteristics of all these people on the first 100 episodes that I could uh, basically share with other people and, and that here's what we could learn from these folks. But as we were piecing it together, you know, the number one thing that stands out that's even like outside of the top 10, because it's really the number one thing, it's the mindset. It's mm. that entrepreneurs just think differently. And I mean, we've heard this several times from you on this interview here. We've heard your mindset of, uh, you know, which a 12 year old going to Brazil. We've heard the mindset uh, as an adult going to India. We've heard the mindset of uh, being inspired by a book and having this passion to start a company. Uh, the mindset of, of, of 
doing anything uh, because you're a mother and gonna, you're going to help your kid or, or even or even taking any job. Right. And just uh, and learning and doing that job well, you know, packing those screws well. Right. And um, and, and so you've been able to take these leaps. And I don't know, there's just something uh, you stand out in the sense from most people, because I think entrepreneurs stand out from most people. Uh, they think differently. They have a different mindset. It doesn't matter if somebody encourages you or discourage you. Great to get encouragement. And I think we don't do this alone, right? We, we learn from yeah. others. We get opportunities uh, and things like that. But you, uh, you, you just, you know, that's, that's really, I hope people take a lot of inspiration um, from your story. But also, the one thing I also do say in the beginning of my book is about no matter, you know, here in the United States, especially people that are born here. Now, my dad was born in Cuba, so I'm a son of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. But even people who are born here, we, we take for granted, like, the freedoms. We take for granted the opportunities. And a lot of times, we also debate the role of government. Maybe we don't like the way things are going in the economy. We don't like the, what's the government doing. You know, this, like, whatever. We have all sorts of debates. But what I look at, I said the, the immigrant walks into this country and they don't really like necessarily see our debates. I mean, maybe they, they kind of do in the periphery, but they're more like, um, wow, like they just see opportunity everywhere. Yeah. Right. And so uh, and then they they just, they, you know, a lot of times we get this oh, immigrants are taking our jobs. Right. Or the other side of it is. Well, immigrants are doing the jobs people don't want to do, right? But I think it's also just the immigrant comes in here with a mindset. And I relate it to the mindset of an entrepreneur. The immigrant is usually somebody who has left their country. That in itself is taking a risk. Like you're leaving your homeland, the place that's safe. And maybe it's not safe for some people, right? But but at least it was a place that you knew to go to, to a place that you don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, and you're dealing with a lot of different issues. Um, you don't know the language perhaps. And so you're, it's somebody who has taken a risk. So they already have that mindset of being fearless in a sense, uh, being bold. And, and then also, uh, that mindset of I'm willing to just do any kind of work. If it's mowing somebody's lawn, if it's whatever it is, I'm going to just do the work. And so you see, and they're willing to work hard, long hours, um, to just make it and to succeed. And a lot of times at the root of that is the closest thing that's the most important to them, uh, is their family. And I'm going to like, I remember hearing my grandparents who came here from Cuba and I sat down with them when I was in college, did an interview with them. And I remember going through all the, um, points of when, why they left Cuba, you know, Cuba had turned communist and they were, they left, Mm -hmm. but my grandparents were living kind of an upper middle-class lifestyle in Cuba. They came here and in the sixties, uh, early sixties and they're, life for the first 10 years was really, really difficult. My grandfather had to work three jobs, not great jobs. My grandmother had to, you know, clean office buildings in the middle of the night. They barely mm-hmm. saw each other. Uh, they were, you know, the, my dad and, and my uncle, and then later my aunt, uh, you know, they had to grow up, you know, in lower economic conditions than maybe they would have had they stayed in Cuba, perhaps. So I remember asking yeah. them, you know, if it was worth it. And then the answer I got really told me that it wasn't that they felt the, hardness on themselves, but that they were thinking about their kids and ultimately their grandkids and the next generation. And that really made me think like, wow, that generation, maybe that generation was different. They were really thinking more, not just about themselves, but about their kids and grandkids and trying to make life better for them. So anyway, I just think the, uh, the immigrant walks into this country and sees a lot of opportunities and many of them do something about it like yourself. And so you not only got some great jobs, <laughs> you created a company 
And now you're providing a service that maybe you're, uni- you know, it's a, it's a very unique niche, providing translations mm-hmm. and interpretations for people in all sorts of business and government roles. And so it's very admirable. So you are literally the embodiment mm-hmm. of the American dream, Camila. So I uh, just wanted to get your feedback on maybe some of that <laughs> that I said. No, thank you so much for, for, for acknowledging uh, my efforts. But you know what? I mean, I really think that the you you can be you, because everybody is in the same environment but it's up to us to open our eyes and see uh put the positive lens of the surroundings like you said some people here then you know americans sometimes and everybody listens to the news and sometimes it gets too heavy and negative and you complain and we complain about things but but if you really switch that around and you focus on what you have is is amazing and you really do way more by focusing on, on what you have than than what you don't have and so you know that and we all know that but but we don't practice that and if we practice uh gratefulness um and uh faith not in the religious sense but faith in and that's what people have when they come to this country they have faith in that dream and when you have faith you're unstoppable period you are i mean you that's what i felt uh, as a mother you you know like a lioness you you just do it you know you go for it without any hesitation and this is the love it's really the love for for your kids or but then you can find the love for anything else and um i really feel like I have to thank the environment, this country, these people, this, like anybody who really gave me access to the information that I needed because the information is out there. We just have to go and get it and then focus on what, on your dreams because if we focus on complaining, we 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 just complain and that's i mean there's no solution for that i mean that it is what it is i mean we can say oh um the glass is half full or half empty and i really think that um, the fact that i'm here i'm healthy i'm talking to you i met you we have so many people in common so many things had to happen for this conversation to occur it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And I really love the one of the things you said here is uh, you said faith and faith um, that in, in, in that you can do it. And it's really it's a, it's a matter of belief and it's a matter of attitude. Right. Uh, you also said we all live in the same environment. Maybe I what I described was that the immigrant is coming into this environment with different mindset, right? Different exactly. mindset, different, uh, you know, seeing something from a different perspective than maybe somebody who's been here before, but, but we're all here and this is, um, we're all living in the same environment and it's Mm -hmm. how we approach the environment that we are given. And luckily we are in, you know, the probably living in the greatest country in the greatest time in history, uh, especially with all the access and the comforts we have and all these sorts of things. Um, and so, yeah, I like what you said, do what you can do. You know, I also look at it, even if things were bad, we have two options, right? You can look at it negatively. You can complain. I, I just don't see the point in a living a life that you complain about things. Like, yes, we can, like, there's things that happen that you can, you can complain, but 
I would rather just say, okay, what can I do about it? Right. And like, I think when you have that mindset, you know, anything is possible. So, and you're unstoppable. Uh, so this has been great, Camila. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for being uh, an agent of innovation uh, and, and being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Um, this has been really great. Again, um, if you liked this, like, like, like the, you know, whatever platform you're on, give us, give us a like, uh, write a review, give us five stars, whatever. Also write some comments, what you think about this episode and Camila's story. We really appreciate the feedback and, uh, you know, hopefully we can get you involved in some way in the Fearless Journeys community so you can interact with great innovators like this. But uh, Camila, I'll just leave you with some last words here, whatever you'd like to say to the audience. Thank you, Francisco, for having me. Uh, I had never talked about my whole story like this before. So it's really um, empowering. Um, I, I thank you for giving the, plat- the platform for me to do this and share my story with everybody out there and I hope that you take what you need and uh, leave the rest behind because that's the power that you have is to pick and choose whatever gives you energy and power to live your dream. So I thank you and I I'm super grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your time. And we're really just uh, happy to bring stories like this and, and your story to more people. And hopefully people can get, get something out of it. And I'm glad that uh, you were able to share it. And uh, hopefully everybody else can share Camila's story with other people. So thank you for being an inspiration for living uh, and embodying the American dream. Thank you. Thank you.